So, well, good morning. Thank you for joining us online. How are we doing, church family? Doing well? Um, I'm glad to be here this morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 6, and uh, that is where we're going to be today. I titled the message, the, Gre- the Greatest Blessing of All. We're in a series called Bless This House. And uh, when we moved into our new location, a couple of things I just want to bring attention to. Um, First, this is our, I think our third week, maybe fourth weekend, this facility, fourth Sunday. And so thank you for the grace. We're still working on lighting and we're pushing stages back. And for our setup teardown team who are here on Fridays, uh, some on Sundays and tearing it down, uh, we're still working through a lot. So bear with us. Uh, We know that uh, the lighting, fluorescent lighting, isn't always the most uh, exciting lighting in the world. World, um, but we're we're working through uh, some of the kinks as we navigate into uh, our new facility, and so thank you for your grace and advance on that, and um, and so and thanks for helping. By the way, for so many of you who help set up and tear down. Uh, so, anyways, uh, but when we moved into this facility, uh, there was uh, a word that just kept coming to my mind, and it was based out of Mark chapter six. And the word was just bless, where Jesus looks up to heaven. We'll talk about that today. And he blessed uh, the food before he broke the bread. And he shared it with the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, this idea of asking God to bless this house. And I want your homes to be blessed. That's a part of this series. But really, this series is also asking God, too, to bless this house and the church. And as we see today in Scripture, it's okay to ask God to bless you. There's permission uh, for you to ask God to bless you and your home. And we'll talk about that today as well. And so uh, today I'm super, super pumped about this word that God has put in my heart for our church. And I believe the best is yet to come. And we've been talking about that in this series as well. And so uh, that hopefully helped you find your place in your Bible or on your iPhone, Mark chapter 6. Are you there? Okay, let's wait a couple more seconds. Uh, Mark chapter 6. Are we there, church? Now, I know that for we have first-time guests in the room, but for all of you who've known me a long time, I, the, I'll just call you out, and I just want to, are we there, church? Are we Mark chapter 6? Do you have your Bibles? Um, I tell you all the time, you should bring your Bible to church. You really should, because you never know. Well, I said it before. If I'm lying to you, and I'm like, no, that's not what it says. I'm going to do it one day. I'm just going to put up a whole bunch of false scripture and teach completely heresy and then see if anybody says anything. And if you don't, I'm really concerned as your pastor, just so you know. So um, <laughs> are you there, church? Mark chapter 6. Uh, you have notes too. Hopefully you're following along with notes because I already know. And this is one of the most difficult jobs as far as preaching, teaching. And some of you know this if you lead organizations or you lead teams or whatever it is in your marketplace or in your workplace. Uh, but I already know you're going to forget 95% of what I say. It takes me a good solid this week, probably into this sermon alone, I would say somewhere between 20 to 25 hours in preparing this 40-minute talk with you, 30-minute, 35-minute talk with you. Seriously, about 20, 25 hours of work. And I know 95% of that is probably going to be forgotten. So that's why I like to take notes because hopefully at some point you get to reference it back and then you go watch it again online and, um, and you just are able to kind of keep getting in whatever this God wants to share with you. All right, Mark chapter 6, we're there, the greatest blessing of all. Verse 30 is where we're going to start and it says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Pause. If you go read Mark chapter 6 from the top to the bottom all the way down to verse 30, you find out that in that context, Jesus had just sent out his disciples two by two to go heal people, raise dead, talk to people, share the gospel, share the good news, and they have gone out working, doing ministry. That's the context. So now they come back to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you got to know about our trip. It was awesome. And here's what happened. And so he shared, they share with Jesus. Then verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going, it says that they did not even have a chance to eat. So people are consuming their energy. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus knows that people will wear you out. Amen. I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just letting you know that people will wear you out, right? People are exhausting. Is that fair to say? People can be exhausting? Yeah? Anybody ever been depleted by somebody? Yes. Anybody a parent in the room? Then you've been depleted, just exhausted by this. Yeah, new parents, exhausting. So Jesus is aware of this. 
And he's aware that ministry will wear people out. If you've done ministry for any period of your life, it will wear you out. It's exhausting dealing with people all the time. So Jesus says we got to get some sleep. He knows they need rest. And the disciples, no question, are ready for it. So I love this. So they went away, it says in verse 32, by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now here's what's interesting. When I read that scripture verse and then I go to read some commentaries and study on this, you'll find a lot of commentators will write about how that there's a need for rest in ministry and a need to get away and a need to go to solitary place and, and this kind of thing. And there's truth to that, there is. But I don't think that's exactly what this text is speaking to in this moment because of what is said in verse 33, which I find, I use the word hilarious. I actually, I find it hilarious because it's just interesting that Jesus says, hey, come with me, let's get some sleep. And then verse 33 happens, and this is, <laughs> it's just hilarious to me. I love how Jesus is. It just, he's got his good sense of humor. All right. So it looks like they're going to get a break, right? You ever thought you were going to get a break? Have you ever been on vacation? You thought you were going to get vacation and then you didn't get the vacation? Has that ever happened? You made plans to go on vacation and then it just didn't work out the way you hoped? All right, watch this. The disciples experienced that too. So did Jesus. Verse 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now think about this. This is interesting. So Jesus says, we're going on a little vacation. But the people show up to their vacation spot before they ever even arrive. Have you ever shown up on vacation all to find out that you had somebody there on vacation that you didn't really want there on vacation with you? <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the communication. This is what I want, right? I want this feedback, yeah. All right. So I'm not alone right? You, you, you're going on vacation, but you know it's not going to be vacation. And then we have that statement that will say, we need a vacation from our vacation. Our vacation. See? So this is where they are. The, the, the people show up, the needy people show up to their hotel before they ever did. Verse 34. So when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Mark is the one writing this. So Mark says, I remember seeing Jesus when these people showed up. There was something about his body language evidently to Mark that made him say, I could see that the man was moved with compassion. And, and he's letting us know about Jesus and how Jesus operated. Jesus is exhausted. Jesus is tired in the physical, you know, he, he's ready for a break. The disciples are ready for the break. But Jesus sees people in need and something inside of him can't help but to get involved in it. Even though he'd rather get away to a solitary place. And Mark says he's moved with compassion. And he knows it because of what he does not how just he looks. In other words, he knows he's filled with compassion because of Jesus' response to the situation of which they're in and how Jesus responds in the moment. The word compassion speaks to a deep emotion that forces involvement. I've talked about that word so many times from this platform. It's the word splagnizimai in Greek, and that means to have a movement in your bowels that forces involvement something deep inside of your gut that forces you to get involved. And Mark says, Jesus was so filled with compassion that he had to get involved, even though we all wanted to take a break. So Mark says, I know he's moved because although he wanted to get away, when he saw the needs of the people, he couldn't. He couldn't ignore the need of the people. So he has to get involved. That's how you know when you're filled with compassion. It forces you to get involved. It's also how you know if you don't have compassion. You sit on the sidelines and you do nothing to make change but complain. Mark wants us to know Jesus was compassionate. He couldn't stand on the sidelines even when he was tired. Scripture tells us that Jesus was so compassionate for humanity that he endured the cross that was set before him. Why? Why? It's compassionate. 
not just empathetic or sympathetic, but compassionate in that it forced him to get involved. All right, verse 35, by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, and they said, this is a remote place, they said. (laughs) These people have come to like nowhere, the middle of nowhere to get to Jesus, and it's already late. Verse 36, send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I love that. So human as a disciple. I would have agreed with all the disciples, by the way. I know all of you would have said, no, let's do what Jesus said. But I would have been more like a disciple saying, can you just get rid of the people, please? All right, this is just a little bit of honesty. The disciples try to send them away. We're tired. We need a break. Not only that, they didn't have the needs to meet the people. They're exhausted. They're depleted. In other words, the disciples saw the problem. They were focused on the problem. They see there's, there's problems here. We can't solve all these people's problems. But Jesus, being Jesus, sees potential. I don't know who it is in this room today, but you might be so fixated on a problem while Jesus is inviting you to see the potential of the opportunity. They're focused on what they lack And Jesus says, this is an opportunity to reveal who God is and who I am. Then he says, next in verse 37, I think shocked the disciples. Verse 37, here's what he tells them. You give them something to eat. Which again, I find quite hilarious. Because Jesus, the same man, said, hey, we're going on a little vacation. You guys need some rest. You've done a good job. I sent you out two by two. You've been working a lot. You need a break. Now, Jesus also knows everything, right? I mean, if Jesus is fully God and fully man, he's still aware of everything that's about to happen. So it's like he set him up. Hey, let's go on vacation. Even though he knew you really aren't going on vacation, but this will be fun. You ever feel like God's messing with you? He's got a good sense of humor. He's a good dad, right? So he says, you give them something to eat. You do it. And he said to them, then they said back, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give them something to eat? This is the moment where the disciples say to Jesus, I'm not sure if you know this, Jesus, but the this is not in our budget. Has God ever called you to do something that you said wasn't in your budget? And not just about finances, just maybe in your realm as fear of talents or giftings. God calls on these disciples to do something that from their observation, they have no way of accomplishing or doing. You ever feel like God's told you to do something that you literally feel like you have no way of accomplishing? God calls you to do something that you think that you think there's just no way that doesn't make any sense. I just want you to know, if God tells you to do something that doesn't make any sense, it's most likely that a great miracle is about to occur in your life. So the disciples are there. He tells them, you give them something to eat. To which I would have said, Jesus, you give them something to eat. You know, like you could do it so fast. Why do you even need me? Amen, right? Don't you agree with me on that? Like, doesn't that make more sense? All right. We don't have the funds to feed our family, let alone 5,000 plus people. So Jesus says back in verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. (laughs) Go see how much you have, which I think is funny because he knew how much they had, but go and see. When they find out they had five Loaves of bread, two fish, right? All right. They don't have a lot. Then Jesus directed them in verse, nine, verse 39 to have all people sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. This is the key word we'll focus on. He gave thanks is the NIV translation. Some translations use the word he blessed it. I think a better translation is the NIV, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Anybody ever waited on tables? Yes? All right. So some of my servers in here understand this. Okay. 
in a typical restaurant scenario, I waited tables for almost 12 years. So in a typical restaurant scenario, you have about three to four, sometimes five tables, depending on the restaurant you might be in, with four people at each table. That's four times four, 16. On a good day, maybe 16 to 20 people. Anybody ever had to wait tables on 16 to 20 people? It gets exhausting and tiring, and people are very needy people, right? And can you, but just, just wrap your head around this. You've got a handful of disciples, and you've got 5,000 men, plus maybe some women and children. Who knows? No one really knows. There's like the estimation of 10,000. Let's go with 7,000 people. 7,000 people are screaming for food, and you have to wait the tables. And all I could picture was the actual imagery of having to walk through people. Hey, what about me? What about me? What about me? More. Can I have more? Can I have seconds? Can I have thirds? Does that make sense? This is a lot of work is all I'm saying to you. We, we picture this like it was like, uh, you know, oh, the, here you go. Have a great day. Like that, that's the image I think we've created in our minds when it comes to feeding 10,000, 7,000 people. I don't think that's the picture that <laughs> this is what is painted here. This is a lot of work. There's a lot of back and forth. And then they go back to Jesus, can I have some more, fill up the basket, take it back out, hand it out to people, take it back out, hand it back to people. And they're sitting down. So it's a lot of, here you go, here, here you go, here, here you go, here you go. Hey, y'all get that group. Hey, here you go, here you go. Hey, you get the one of 50, I'll take the one of 10. No, you take the one of 100. I'm going to go back to that. Can you imagine the back and forth and back and forth of grabbing these loaves of bread and the amount of exhausting work that goes into it, all the while they're supposed to be on vacation? Goodness. The disciples do the work. Verse 42 says, they all ate and were satisfied. Everybody got a meal, and everybody had enough until the point they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. One writer says they get leftovers. The number of men who had eaten was about 5,000. Now, most people think the story ends there, but it doesn't. How many of you have ever believed that the story ends there? Okay, because I just told you that. But prior to me saying that, <laughs> probably most of you thought that's where the story ends. It's the feeding of the 5,000. That is not where the story ends. That's not the end of the story. So I want to enlighten you with something in this because what happens next in the story is the whole point of the story. And if all you read through is the feeding of the 5,000 miracle, and all you know when you think about this is this amazing moment where Jesus blessed the bread, he broke it, and he gave it out, you've missed the whole point of this miracle. So John chapter 6. I love John because John lets us know how this story concludes. John chapter 6, John tells the same story. This is one of the miracles that was recorded in all four of the Gospels. But John says... We can't forget this part of the story because this is really the part of the story that matters. And it's what happens on the other side of the lake. That's what really matters. What happened on the other side of the lake after this occurred? It reveals to us what the whole point of this story is all about. So John chapter 6 verse 25. Here's what happens. They get the fool. They ate. They do some campfires. Night happens, they sleep, the crowd is there. Jesus tries to get away again, and they get on a boat. Some of you know the story about walking on water and what happens in the water. Let's skip that story, and let's get to the other side of the lake. And I love that, because that tells us that Jesus and his disciples are like, okay, we did the miracle, let's let them sleep, now let's go. And so they try to get away again. But the people are needy, and they show up on the other side of the lake. And here it is in verse 25, John chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, hey, when'd you get here? And I'm thinking of your disciple, when, when'd you get here? Like, why are you even here? You know, we did our job. 
And I love it, but the people are pursuing of Jesus. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, referencing to the feeding of the 5,000, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. In other words, you are coming after me because of what I just did for you. Now, this is important. This is where the teaching happens. Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life. Can you highlight that in your scripture? Like put a note there for yourself. Do not work for food that spoils. Everybody say work. Okay, work. He says don't work for food that spoils. Disciples, I'm gonna teach you something about the type of work that you should do. We don't do work for food that spoils. We do work that leads to eternal life. Man, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval, and the people ultimately then were wanting a physical satisfaction while Jesus was trying to satisfy their spirit. Let me say it this way. The people were wanting satisfaction, satisfaction physically while Jesus wanted to satisfy them spiritually. It's almost universally true that people are more attracted to material things than spiritual things. If you don't believe me, put a sign outside of your house that says free money. Put a sign outside in front of your house, put a yard, put it into your yard and say, come into my house, I'll give you free money. Line up the church, say, free to money. Let's do it. Let's just give away money. Let's just announce it on social media. Everybody post it. We're giving away money. Giving away food. Giving away clothing. Giving away cars. We're giving away houses. We're going to raffle off 100 houses next week. Place would be packed. True? Of course. Free money. People go to parties for free beats. People drive a long way to get some beads, don't they? Anyways, beads, little beads, Dollar General, right? I'm just saying, we'll do a lot of stuff for free stuff, weird stuff for free stuff. Man, just his point is you guys are so wrapped up in physical blessings and you're missing the greatest blessing of all. The tendency for humans is to focus on physical blessing while Jesus is like, you're missing the point. You think I'm here to bless you physically. I'm trying to bless you spiritually. And you're missing it. That's his whole heart. A sign that says free money, free food will get a bigger crowd than one that says free spiritual fulfillment and eternal life. It's true. And Jesus declared, ready? Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's the end of the story. The reason for feeding of the 5,000 wasn't to feed them physically and to satisfy their physical hunger. It was to lead them to spiritual healing, to really feed their soul. It was to introduce people to the one who gives bread. Who's the giver of bread? God, manna. Go back to Jewish culture. Go back to Old Testament. When you talk about bread in Scripture, it's often referenced to the giver of life. It's, it's used symbolically throughout Scripture. It has to do with life. And God is the one who gives life and gives bread. And hunger reminds us if there is a God who provides for us. And all of it leads back to understanding who God is. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus wanted the people to want the blesser more than the blessing. So when I, you ever, <laughs> you ever thought you were teaching your kids a lesson all to find out you were learning a lesson yourself? Has that ever happened to you? You ever taught your kids something? If you're a parent, you taught your kids something, and then while you were telling them, it was like God said, no, actually, that's for you. 
Has that ever happened? Any, can you raise your hands so I don't feel alone? Oh, thank God. I get, I get it all the time. Um, so I'm doing this message prep. And, uh, and it just was difficult and challenging. And sometimes that's what's, sometimes it kind of comes a little easier. But this one was just tough. I wrote this one, finalized it at 5.30 this morning. And I was out Wednesday, six, seven hours on it. Thursday, six, seven hours on it. Friday, several hours on it. Saturday, several hours on it. And I kill my wife. I just can't figure this out. And it's bothering me. And it's frustrating me. I got to get it done. I got to get the notes back to our production team. They're going to kill me. I'm going to give it to them 30 minutes before the sermon. Be like, hey, put all this into the notes and put it on the slides. And I'm like, you got to give it to me. Anyways. So I'm searching for, why in the world, God, aren't you giving this to me? Like, what, what are you trying to say? And it wasn't until this morning that God revealed this piece of it. And here's the story behind it. When I started asking God to move into this place, I said, Lord, would you bless this house? Would you, would you bless it? And that's a good thing. I want you to, to bless it, Lord. And bless the people. Help them grow spiritually. I want the people to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. So I begin to pray. The staff begin to pray. We want your homes to be blessed. We even talked about going to each of your homes and blessing your home. And God, would you bless the church? Would you bless your community? And we wanted to see multiplication and growth and salvations. And all of that is good. And as I prayed for blessing, that's what was in my heart. And I don't think any of that's wrong in of itself. Like, I want you to be blessed. I want the church to be blessed, the body of Christ to be blessed. And all of that is good. There's certainly invitation in Scripture to ask God to bless you. But the Holy Spirit revealed something to me this morning, and it just took some time for me to kind of massage this out. I think Jesus was trying to get to me, and maybe even now to the message to us as a church, is... As you pursue blessing, don't forget that it's really more about pursuing the blesser than it is pursuing the blessing. And it's a lesson for us when we ask God to bless us. And Jesus' whole point to these people who are pursuing him across the lake, who are going up into the wilderness, trying to get to wherever he's going, he's like, you're coming after me because you want blessing, but I'm trying to give you something greater than the blessing. I'm trying to introduce you to the blesser. And I got, immediately said, okay, Jesus, I get it. We see this word that Jesus Used when he looked up to heaven. Go back to verse 41. It says, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. Some translations use the word blessed. This word blessed in Greek is where we get the word eulogy from. To read a eulogy. It's fascinating, actually, when you look up these word studies. Eulogio. When Jesus took the bread, he gave a eulogy. We use the word blessing. You ever heard, hey, can you say the blessing? You ever done that before? Say the blessing. You ever heard that? You say the blessing, right? You, yeah. You grew up in a home, you said the blessing. Anybody say the blessing? You say the blessing before you eat, right? You say the blessing. Just so you know, you're biblically wrong. I mean, you could do it, but it's not really the point. You don't bless the food. You ever done that? Hey, you get somebody who's going to bless the food, right? There's no scriptural context for blessing the food. When Jesus, watch this, when Jesus blesses the food, which he doesn't. That's why I don't like the other translation that says he blessed it. He didn't bless it. The it is not referring to the bread. He's blessing the blesser. He reads the eulogy. The word eulogy means to give praise or thanks. So who he's acknowledging here is the blesser. I don't need to bless the meal. I bless the one who provided the meal. This is what Jesus is doing before he breaks the bread and distributes it to the 5,000, the miracle. God, I give you glory and praise. I'm blessing you with my mouth. And I'm giving you thanks for the provision of these people. And he reads a eulogy. When people read eulogies, they speak well of you when you have nothing to say because you're dead. Right? That's what a eulogy is. Yes? Yeah. 
you have nothing to say. So somebody comes up and says something well about you, hopefully, (laughs) and they speak well of you. What Jesus is doing, he's saying, I've got something good to say about my father. Let's give him thanks. And he praises him as he blesses the bread or God. The object of blessing was not the food, the bread. The object of the blessing is God. The traditional Jewish blessing of God for the food rather than the food itself. I'll show it to you on the screen. We will not read the Hebrew version. We'll read the English version. Amen. Here's the blessing. Blessed are you, O Lord God, the king of the ages of universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. This is a traditional Jewish blessing. You don't bless the food, you bless the one who provides it. So when Jesus, as a Jew, stands there and blesses, gives thanks to the bread, he is blessing the blesser. That's important as we talk about the greatest blessing of all. It's inconceivable that a Jew would bless the object and not bless the originator or the creator of the object. When you bless your food, you bless him, not the food. You speak well of him. You put the focus on him. So the question then is, how do we bless him? The good news is the Bible tells us how to bless God. I'm talking about the greatest blessing of all. And Jesus' whole point here is I'm trying to, follow me on this, I'm trying to invite the crowd. I know you're wanting the blessing. I know you're wanting the job. I know you're wanting the house. I know you're wanting good health. I know you're wanting the financial breakthrough. I know you're wanting whatever that is. I know, I know. You want the blessing. But I want you to get the greatest blessing of all. Me. It's the invitation to the greatest blessing of all. And Jesus models it for his disciples. He blessed the blesser. So how do you do that? How do you bless the blesser? What does that mean? How do you bless God? You know, how how do you bless him? Because see, I want you to walk out of here today. This is what I want for you and for me and for our church, for our community. And I hope this, no matter what age, which background you are in, where you are in your stage of life, I want you to be blessed. And God wants to bless you. And the way that you will be blessed is by blessing the blesser. So how do you do that? Practically. How do you bless him so that you will always be blessed? Okay, here it is. I want you to follow this. Write this key truth down. I'll give you a couple of them. Here's a key truth in Scripture, all right? Here's the first one. Write this down. In Scripture, blessing should be, not it is, is more centered around being than receiving. I'm going to say it again, okay? In Scripture, blessing is, that's what it should say, blessing is more centered around being than receiving. I'm talking about the greatest blessing of all. We're answering the question, how do we bless God? We need to bless him. Scripture's clear on that. How do you do it? Psalm 67 sheds some light on this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. That is taken right out of number 6, 24 through 26. So that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all the nations. May the people praise you. God, may all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the people praise you, God. May all the people praise you. The land yields its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Did you catch what the writer of Psalm 67 is getting at? God, would you bless me that I might be a blessing? If you want God to bless you, I want you to do me a favor. Just participate here. 
Does anybody here want God to bless them? Raise your hand. Raise it high. You want God to bless you. All right. So this is good. You came then today, and you're going to get something here. I want you to get blessed too. I really do. I wouldn't be up here doing this. I wouldn't have spent the time that I spent to do this if I didn't want you to get blessed. Okay, you ready? Here's what we just learned from Psalm 67. We want the church to be blessed, the body of Christ to be blessed, your children to be blessed, the state to be blessed, our nation to be blessed. Okay, ready? Don't make it about you. Stop making your blessings about you. Nowhere in Scripture do you find people getting blessed because of what it would do for them. The people who get blessed are the people who turn it around and bless God with their blessing. So why are you asking for a blessing? More comfort? More cushion in your finances? More vacations? Better car? Better health? What's the purpose behind the better health you want? You can lift more, run more, do more. I'm proposing to you that the reason why in which we should seek out blessings from God is for one reason alone, and that is to bless him by being a blessing to other people. Psalm 67, he says, bless me. And all through it you see in Scripture so that the world would know who you are. That's the focus of blessing. Psalm 96 says, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord praise. The word praise I highlighted for you because that's the same Hebrew word for bless, Barak. It's important to do word study when you read the Bible. Some translations use the word bless there. But I wanted to show you in the NIV so you don't just skim over and say he's talking about praise. He's not talking about praise. He's talking about blessing. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. How do you bless his name? Look at the next line. Proclaim the salvation day after day. You want to bless God? Proclaim salvation to the world that's lost and broken and hurting. And you will bless him. So are you blessing him? You got to follow me on this church. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. If you want to bless God, ready? Proclaim his name. If you want to receive a blessing from God, be a blessing. So we bless God when we proclaim his name. When you speak of his name, what did Jesus do? He modeled for you and me how to get blessed. You want to see God do great miracles through your life? Before they happen, proclaim his name to the nations. When Jesus gives the eulogy of God and he gives thanks to God, he's giving recognition to who God is in front of all the people saying, hey, the reason we're about to eat here is because of one God. And he proclaims his name. And then he breaks it and distributes it out to the people. We bless God when we proclaim his name. Third key truth. God gives permission to ask for blessing. It is okay to say, God, bless me. You see this in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9, where a man named Jabez says, God, bless me. Expand my territory. Bless me. You see it all through Scripture. Nothing wrong with asking God to bless you. There is a however or a but, though. However, the prayer of blessings should not be self-seeking, should the word be, excuse me for my grammar, not be self-seeking. I did it at 5.30 in the morning, give me grace. Self-seeking, but God-glorifying. Are you catching the message today? Please hear me. When you pray for blessings, are they self-seeking or are they God-glorifying? What's the real reason behind your ask for the blessing? God does not need us to expand his kingdom. I don't know if you know that. 
He does not need you. He does not need me to expand his kingdom. And he didn't need the disciples to feed the 5,000 plus people. He could have put Lunchables in their pockets. Snack packs. Yes? Oh, he could have. With lids on it and everything. Nice and neat, ready to go. He doesn't need us to expand his kingdom. I want you to understand that he has blessed us with a word called privilege, an extreme privilege of sharing his name with the world. On trial before King Agrippa, Paul declared that he was fortunate to plead his case before someone who understood Jewish customs. Look at Paul's writing in Acts 26. It says, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate. By the word, that's the Greek word for blessed. The word fortunate here is a word, and I'm going to butcher the wording of it, but marikos, marikos, M-A-R-K-I-O-S-E-S. It's the same word that you get in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. I want you to see that what Paul is saying is, I consider myself blessed, watch this, to stand before you today, and by the way, he's on trial as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. Paul is standing on trial, and he considers himself blessed. The brother of Jesus, James, says, consider it pure joy. You are blessed when you stand trials against God. It's a, it's a great calling. It's a great thing. You're blessed when you have to face all kinds of adversities in life in the name of Jesus. You're blessed. It's fortunate. It's a privilege that we get. Write this down, final thought here. The greatest blessing of all is blessing the blesser by being a blessing. I know that's a lot. But the greatest blessing of all is blessing the blesser by being a blessing. The teaching is if you want to get blessed... Bless the blesser by being a blessing. It was the whole point of Abraham getting blessed in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. When Abraham gets blessed, it was to bless others. When Jabez prays for a blessing, it was to bless others, to expand the territory so that the world will come to know who God was because they were heading towards land. When the writer of Psalm 67 says, bless me so the world will know you. Now, God will know if you're asking God to bless you financially so you can get a better yacht, just so you know. He hears what's inside of you. No, the yacht's for, you know, I can tell others about how big of yachts you give, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll let you take that up with him. The greatest blessing of all is blessing the blesser by being a blessing. In closing, in 2006, uh, I began a journey. If Andrews is here, do come up. But in 2006, I began a journey in ministry. And uh been doing that ever since now. And it's hard. And I was telling uh, somebody I'll bring up in just a minute, uh, our kids director and ministry will cost you a lot. Ministry is not easy. Jesus says that you're going to have to lose your life for my sake. It'll cost you a lot to do ministry. Make no mistake about it. There is great rewards to ministry, but there is a cost to it. And it comes with all kinds of hard work. I might talk about this in a few weeks, but just a free talk here, just a second on this. And you all raised your hand a minute ago. You said, I want God to bless me. Okay? God wants to bless you. If you're here today and you raised your hand a minute ago, I saw you young and older, less wise and wise. <laughs> amen. Okay. All the wise people are like, amen. Okay. All the young ones are confused. Like, what are you saying? You just diss me? Yeah. Okay. Um, I want God to bless you. He wants to bless you. So take the focus off the blessing that you're asking for 
put your focus on the blesser and then make it about him and not about you. Now, you should know, with blessing comes cost. You want blessing to get promotions? You get more work. Amen? To all the... Yeah. You want... Lord, give us lots of children. <laughs> Bless us. Be careful what you ask for. It's going to be a lot of work. You, ble- you do. We ask God to bless us with children. But it's a lot of work. There's a scripture that says, in Proverbs, that says, um, if you want a large harvest, it'll require a large ox. You ever stood behind an ox? Anyone? Okay. One? Yeah. Pretty sight? (laughs) No. Smell good? Probably not. (laughs) In case you didn't know, you stand behind an ox. It's not the most pleasant view. You know what an ox is, right? Yeah? All right. What does an ox do? Somebody say it. What are ox for? Plowing. Yeah, so you get the two ox in front of you and get them going so they can plow a field, right? Who can plow a field better, an ox or you? An ox. So if you want more harvest, got to get an ox. Because an ox can clear an acre in a day. You can't clear an acre in a day no matter how hard you work. Right? But the writer says, if you want a large harvest... Gotta get an ox. Here's the lesson. But with the ox comes a lot of cleanup. You want to clean the stalls of an ox? Because if you don't want to clean the stalls, then don't ask for the blessing. So you want a large harvest, but you don't want to have to do a lot of cleanup. Hey, disciples, you want to see a miracle? Yes, Lord. Then feed them. Get to work. But I'm exhausted and I'm tired. You want me to bless you? I want you to see that with blessing comes a lot of messiness. So be careful before you raise your hand and say, God, bless me. Bless me, God. Normally the focus is give me more, right? Abundance. No. James says you don't have because you ask with the wrong motive. The moment you take the focus off of you and you put it back on the blesser, God, bless me so that they would know who you are. God goes to work and says, now I can bless you. And I will bless you as you go to work to do my work, to reveal my name to the world. And one of the greatest miracles in all of scripture that people love to talk about was on the back of his disciples who were willing to do the work. Just think about what you're doing when you ask God to bless you. I want you to be blessed, but understand that with that blessing will come a lot of work. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. Oh, that sounds good so that your ways may be known on earth. The miracle occurred in the hands of Jesus, but it was the disciples who had to do the distribution of it. Somebody had to do the work. If we want your home to be blessed, it'll require a lot of work. If you want the church to be blessed, it'll require a lot of work. With blessing 
comes a lot of messiness. It comes a lot of work. So as you ask God to bless you, consider what you're asking is the lesson. But it's the greatest blessing of all is to be a blessing to other people. And you bless God by blessing others. And I am telling you, it is the greatest blessing of all. Verse 3 says, may the people praise you, God. May all the people praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. And for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the people praise you, God. May all the people praise you. The land yield its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that the ends of the earth will fear him. I'm just letting you know that, seriously, uh, it is the greatest blessing to do the work of the Lord. There's no greater blessing than doing his work. It's the greatest blessing you could ever have doing the work and leading other people into a relationship with him. So I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to stand to your feet for just a minute. I just invite you to do this. And I think we have it up on the screen. We have the whole thing? Good, perfect. I hope you can see it. I want to invite you to do something. And uh, on April the 1st, 2022, I was doing my study, and I opened my Bible, and I said, this is my prayer for Brave Church. And then last night, I was flipping through a Bible, and I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I wrote that in there. And uh, sorry, but I did. And God reminded me that like, this was my prayer for our church. So I want to ask you to read this with me. But only if you're willing to be a blessing because if you say this and you actually mean it then I think God's going to put you to work and the reason for the work will not be so you can accumulate more but so that you can introduce people to who he is that's the blessing ready read it with me may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the people praise you. The land yields its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Amen. Just you close your eyes for just a minute? Jesus, thank you for blessing us. And I pray, Father, that you would bless this house and you would bless the homes of your people. But ultimately, not so that we could accumulate more. But ultimately that we could come to know you greater and greater and greater. So Lord, bless us that we might be a blessing. And in return, bless you by proclaiming your name to the world around us. Jesus, may your will be done in the lives of your people. Everybody said amen. Amen. Amen.